0: That's a new headline. Wellington Mayor Tori Farno has admitted to more drunken antics in a central city bar. She has confirmed to RNZ that she has a drinking problem for a not so new problem.
1: It's easy to sit here and be outraged and we are year after year after year (laughs) and nothing changes. So I'm sick of the outrage. I want to see some action. What's the course of action?
0: I totally agree with you. We've been talking too much about it and not enough doing. Over the last week, Wellington's mayor, Tori Farno has become the reluctant poster child for drinking. And after previously brushing it off... I'm
2: 40, I'm single, uh, I love our hospitality scene, and every couple of weeks I like to head out with my mates and and hit a couple of bars.
0: She's now facing it head on. I
2: do have a drinking problem. I I, I am getting professional help. I've got a lot of support. This is a deeply personal uh, journey for me. Um, but I'm looking forward to
0: getting better. But it's not just a Tory problem. It's also a New Zealand problem.
2: I've had actually a huge number of people reach out to me uh, to basically admit or confess or empathise because they are experiencing the same
0: issue. An issue that's been well documented.
3: The burden of New Zealand's drinking culture on hospital
0: emergency departments has been revealed. From death and car accidents right through to suicidal events, injuries to children. The most harmful drugs in New Zealand have been ranked for the first time and the results are surprising many. Alcohol has the dubious honour of being in the top spot. And right now, the most harmful substances sold to us on nearly every street corner. The bottle shop, the bottle-o, whatever you
2: call it, they seem to be everywhere.
0: So why is it socially acceptable to clink glasses of it at parties, chug a yardie at a 21st, or encourage a mate to scull a beer? And after all of that encouragement, why is it suddenly socially unacceptable when it becomes a problem? Kia ora, I'm Wilhelmina Shrimpton, and today on The Detail, we take a look at alcohol and the stigma surrounding alcoholism. Tori Fano is isn't the first high-profile Kiwi with a drinking problem, and she won't be the last. But a mere admitting to it is proof that overdoing it can happen to anyone. Kiwis from all walks of life are turning to the bottle – including those in senior roles or with prominent job titles. Janet Thompson was one of them. The leader of a successful company, she tells me her problem with alcohol, began in her early 40s. And ironically for me, my difficulty
1: with alcohol came when I had everything that I thought I ever wanted in life. So I had a child, I had great friends, I had great family, had a great job, had no financial worries on the outside everything looked fine but alcoholism i describe my brand of alcoholism which seems to be common is, is it's also the it, while it's a disease of alcoholism it's also a disease of not enough so all of those things that i had that on the outside looked great just wasn't enough i had this emptiness that i couldn't describe and i felt guilty because i had the emptiness because there was no reason for it So what happened for me is the one or two glasses started to become bottles. And I I kept changing the goalposts. So, you know, I remember saying to myself, if I ever have more than a bottle of wine a night, I'll know there's a problem and I'll stop. And then I'd have a bottle of wine and I'd think, oh, well, actually, that, that didn't really touch the sides and it didn't really affect me. When I get to one and a half bottles of wine a night, I know it's a problem and I'll stop. So I kept changing the goalpost, and I, I and I and I kept on justifying um, the amount I was drinking because I was in a stressful job. I I, I could justify the amount I was drinking, but it, it wasn't normal. So, you know, alcohol sort of became all-consuming, and 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 for me at the start, alcohol wasn't the problem; it was the solution.
0: It's interesting what you're saying about it being the solution to the problem. And you were in quite a high-powered job, weren't you? Yes, I was. I was the CEO of a company. Which is a huge amount of pressure, right? So you're, there, I think there's this mentality of, it's been a hard day at work. I deserve this. Oh,
1: I, I had a strong sense of entitlement, you know. like, like there, there, and I, there, there was a lot of pressure at work, but I loved it. It wasn't because of the job that I drank, you know, and it wasn't because of the people that I drank. I drank because I was an alcoholic. I have a disease of alcoholism. I had no catastrophic rock bottom. You know, you hear some people who got caught drunk driving or had a big bust up or had an accident or something catastrophic happened. That, that didn't happen in my case. I, I just got to that moment where I realised I was just being a spectator in my own life. I wasn't participating
0: in it anymore. Was your drinking affecting your, your output? Did Could anyone tell at work? I don't. I, I mean, you'd have to ask other people. I don't think
1: people, people could tell, but I often wonder. I mean, I was very good. I was very successful at it. And, and I often wonder how much more successful I could have been if I hadn't been nursing such terrible hangovers or, you know, feeling, feeling this huge emptiness. It, it, I was leading a double life. You know, on the outside, I was this high-performing, high-functioning, successful person, and on the inside, I just felt like a piece of shit um, because I felt so guilty and ashamed and embarrassed that I had this problem that I couldn't tell anybody about.
0: Mm. What are the what is having an alcohol addiction like? I mean, what is it? Intense cravings? What does what does it feel like in the day to day? So there's the physical craving, but there's also the mental
1: obsession about, you know, I need this drink to be able to cope in the world. So um, when when you're still actively drinking, it feels ghastly, actually. You feel really trapped. And in my experience, um, alcoholics in high-profile roles are are great people at juggling their two lives because they are leading two lives. Um, Unfortunately... It's not very sustainable, and something's going to have to give, mm-hmm. you know. And 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 hopefully, it's not something too catastrophic for the for the person.
0: I want to talk about the the notion of the the functioning alcoholic because that was something that you said before. You said that you were high functioning, but I feel like that that term is is slightly problematic because while well, you might be functioning in one aspect of your life, are there other aspects that are suffering because you are trying to juggle or, or hide this? addiction well it's exhausting so so in time something's
1: going to have to give because what i know about alcoholism is it's progressive so by doing nothing or trying harder it's not going to get better so while you're managing to juggle things at the moment and things are kind of manageable and uh, you know that you feel like the only person you're hurting is yourself you know you're trying really hard and it and it is exhausting and it's confusing and it's baffling but it's but it's just with you. You know, you're able to talk a good game, you're able to walk a good game, and you're able to put it out there that things are fine. But while that's happening, your alcoholism is progressing. So the physical cravings are increasing, the mental obsession is increasing, and and the consequences of your drinking are increasing. So something's going to have to give sooner or later. And that's where... If we could just make it okay for people to go to their employers at that stage, we could make a huge difference in the workforce because that's the stage when we can do something about it. But what happens is the whole thing starts to unravel, so the alcoholic tries harder, and the harder they try... The worse it seems to be getting, and so you know we're we're on a kind of a downward spiral and and what I would love, and this is my vision um, for the future is that we could have recovery friendly workplaces where workplaces, while they have health and safety policies and and policies around drug and alcohol testing, I would love to see workplaces put their hand up and say. We're actually a recovery-friendly workplace. So if you're struggling with alcohol or drugs and it hasn't affected your performance but you feel like it might, it's okay to put your hand up and we will deal with it as a health issue within the workplace, the same as if you were diagnosed with any other illness. So um, we won't deal, deal with it as
0: a disciplinary issue unless there is bad behaviour and poor performance. But until that vision comes to life, Janet, who's now been sober for 14 years, is channelling her experience and recovery into running Auckland-based private rehabilitation facility, The Retreat. Nestled among native bush just north of Auckland, it offers a 30-day programme with a 61% success rate. We have bank managers,
1: pilots, doctors, nurses. We have very high-profile, very successful people come in and use that 30 days to just invest in themselves and find that there is a way to
0: move forward. So situations like, like tori whanau's are actually pretty normal. It's, it's not uncommon. Do you think that high power jobs are riskier when it comes to drinking? I, I, I
1: think that your drinking can get enabled a lot more easily. Um, you know, you don't have the financial worries. Often, you know, I had an expense account, and and
0: drinking with clients was a common common thing to do. How many functioning alcoholics do you think are actually out there at the moment? I mean, in the workplace and in, in these in these positions. Well, I, I I mean,
1: the answer is I don't know. But what I do know is that the statistic that I heard the other day was that there's about five percent of of New Zealanders who drink dangerously. So if if that's a correct statistic, well then I I, I guess there's five percent of mayors that are drinking dangerously and five percent of CEOs and you know, and I'm not anti-alcohol. I, I think alcohol is an important part of our culture. You know, we, it's important to celebrate. You know, we celebrate with alcohol. We grieve over alcohol. I'm not anti-alcohol. All I'm
0: saying is that if alcohol has stopped serving you, then there is a different solution. I mean, drinking is kind of normalised. It's, You know, we clink glasses of it to celebrate. It's available on nearly every shop front. It's socially acceptable then. But then as soon as it becomes a problem, it's socially unacceptable. Why does that stigma still exist? I think the stigma exists because people don't understand
1: it's a disease. So people look at the alcoholic with kind of revulsion and contempt and kind of say just just get your act together. You know, why 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 don't you just stop? When it becomes a problem, why don't you stop? What what they don't understand is that for the alcoholic They're completely powerless over it. The same is, and God forbid that it doesn't happen, if you were to get cancer, people wouldn't ask you to try harder to try and make the cancer go away or to manage the cancer. They would rally around you and make sure that you got the help that you needed. But because I believe society doesn't recognise or accept alcoholism as a health issue and as a a disease, it's classified as a disease. There should be no stigma in people coming forward to say, I have a problem with alcohol and I need help.
0: And that lack of understanding then layered upon that perception that people in high-powered positions shouldn't have an issue, they're the ones that you go to when you have an issue, makes it even harder for people in those positions and like tori Fano,
1: And and quite rightly, if your job is, is, is to lead a team of people, then you're there as a leader. And... And you need to perform that job.
2: And, and we can perform that job. You know, it's been a very challenging year overall. It's almost like all the things that could have happened in a political career, a public political career, has happened in one year. Um, but at the same time, it couldn't have made me more resilient. Um, so I feel that, um, yes, while these are challenging things that I've been through, I, I'm the sort of person that comes out the other end, much stronger. You know, I I can promise Wellington that I'm going to be a much stronger leader because of this.
1: We're still very capable and very competent people. Um, We're just managing a condition. But when we're not managing the condition, that's when it starts to
0: unravel. And, and, And we come back to that stigma. A stigma that still exists despite the New Zealand Health Survey revealing that four in five Kiwi adults have had a drink in the past year, And one in five have a hazardous drinking pattern. And it's a stigma that still exists despite alcohol being everywhere. And songs like this classic Kiwi anthem from the Dudes... In ads... Alcohol advertising nearby schools is a concern for more than half of those surveyed by researchers. Children from lower decile schools are more likely to be exposed to alcohol marketing and its sports clubs. Alcohol Health Watch Executive Director Andrew Galloway says booze is deeply ingrained in New Zealand's culture. So what are we doing to protect Kiwis, and particularly those prone to addiction? The Sale and Supply of Alcohol Act 2012 was introduced as a tool to ensure safe and responsible sales, supply and consumption. But Andrew tells me it's fast becoming out of date. He also says alcohol policy has become a tough balancing act between the positive outcomes for our economy and the negative outcomes for our health.
3: First off, I'll say that alcohol does provide a huge source of employment and, you know, there are some positives. People like it. Over 80% of New Zealanders drink. It is something we associate with celebrating. It's something we associate with being together. However, it is New Zealand's most harmful drug. Um, It... Is alcohol consumption a component cause for over 200 diseases and injury conditions? Um, and in 2007, it was estimated 800 deaths uh, could be attributed to alcohol. So, you know, it's a, it's a big cost to society.
0: How did our culture get to this point?
3: A researcher once said everywhere Captain Cook landed um, has a very similar drinking culture. Four glasses of wine with dinner in America, you're an alcoholic! Four glasses of wine with dinner in Britain? You're the designated driver! So I think we've inherited, in some ways, some of the drinking culture right from the beginning of of colonisation. It continues um, because it's quite permissively regulated. And being New Zealand's most harmful drug, if we were to introduce it now, we'd probably have uh, quite a different legal framework around it, given how much harm it causes. And The harm that it causes isn't felt just by um, the drinker, it's felt by people around them and and wider community.
0: It's interesting what you say about had we introduced it now, that it probably wouldn't be um, dealt with or be so ingrained in the culture like it is. Mm. Is it almost as if the horse has already bolted? We kind of just let it get out of hand and we're trying to claw things back, but also it's hard to because there is that advertising everywhere and there's sponsorship.
3: I worked very closely with the Sale of Liquor Act 1989, which had very few ways to stop a bottle store. We were promised in 2012 with the Alcohol Harm Reform Bill and the Sale and Supply of Alcohol Act that followed, licences would be harder to get and easier to lose. And that hasn't proven to be the case. Um, Government, when they looked at the Law Commission review in 2011, um, didn't move on the big ticket items, price, availability, and marketing advertising sponsorship. So you know I think it's it's one of those things where I think we just need to stop and look at the, the total sum cost of alcohol and what we can do and what we can do it isn't actually too complicated it's not unachievable we wouldn't be world leading you know, we'd be following other countries and their successful efforts um, in some respects.
0: In terms of the, the level of support that's available for people, where how are we tracking with that? Because I feel like there's a stigma surrounding it. It takes a lot for someone to admit that they have a, a problem or put their hand up and say that they need help. But in terms of the support that's available to them, when they do do that, what's there?
3: Um, You... Might have seen Deb Fraser, the co-chair of um, the National Centre of Addiction Treatment, on on um, TV on the weekend talking about addiction services being underfunded, and I can only agree.
2: It's very clear that the addiction sector has been under resourced for a very long time, and needs to be resourced properly.
3: I am not a, an addiction service; Alcohol Health Watch is not as um, on its own, but certainly we work closely with them, and and we would very much echo those those concerns. Um, Health seeking behaviour. Generally, not everyone needs treatment. Not everyone needs intensive residential care or um, even face-to-face treatment. There's screening and brief intervention, which is most evidence-based successfully in a health setting, delivered by a health practitioner, a doctor um, or a, a health worker. It's very, very cost-effective. Um, and brief intervention is, is and screening is just asking people how much they drink, what are the harms that they might have felt over the, the period, and then gives them some advice on what the current low-risk drinking guidelines are. So it's it's where we would like to see the energy put, as well as obviously funding treatment at the pointy end where it's needed. Um, Putting in some of those measures, um, hopefully towards the top of the cliff, is is a better strategy as well.
0: If we do nothing, what does that look like?
3: If we don't change, we'll remain consistent. Um, If not, the, the harms will increase, and the costs will only ever go up. Um, But I think we'd be really keen to support a a review of the legal framework again. It's been over 10 years. Um, Since then, we've had a rapid growth. You know, COVID has seen a a change in a whole lot of behaviours, more people working from home. But we also saw in the alcohol space, quite concerningly, a massive growth in rapid delivery.
0: So the Uber Uber Eats yeah. the the contactless delivery yeah. services, which makes it easy. It's a, it's a tool for people who need to access it.
3: Yep. yep. want and to access it. It's a really good service. I've, I as a um, person who who survived an Auckland uh, lockdown for for months and months, used delivery services, not for alcohol, mind you, but I could have, and it was there, and it's convenient. So we're not saying it can't happen. It's just something that isn't regulated well. Um. The Consumption in the home is associated with increased harm and home delivery is associated with heavier drinking and increased drinking sessions. And it stands to reason to common sense if, if you're sitting around with a mate and you've polished off your allotment of alcohol that you've purchased but you still want more, it you know will extend that drinking occasion if it's available. Um, overseas we've seen very like uh, jurisdictions uh, to ours, such as Western Australia and, and other states in Australia regulate it. New Zealand has really very few requirements. And concerningly, um, you can get alcohol delivered outside the national trading hours, default trading hours in, in the Sale and Supply of Alcohol Act, which kind of reduces the impact, doesn't it, of a, uh, a local alcohol policy or even having a closing hour if you can get it delivered in 15 minutes um, after the, the bars close.
0: So while our behaviours have changed, actually our laws aren't keeping up with them and it's our behaviours are making it easier to, to access... This particular, you know, drug essentially or the most harmful substance, but our laws aren't keeping up and, and aren't playing the best gatekeeper that they could.
3: No, they're not. Um, and I'm, again, um, we're not talking about banning alcohol. We're, we realise alcohol is a positive feature in, in many people's um, experience. Uh, but no, you're, you're quite right. Our, our laws haven't kept up. And, and it's scary because it was only 2012. It's not a long time to have a piece of ledge that is suddenly out of date. But I think this um, also demonstrates how quick the industry can move and um, we, we need to keep keep up with the times.
0: That's it for today. I'm Wilhelmina Shrimpton. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. Thanks to Janet Thompson and Andrew Galloway. Matiwa.